Welcome to the Startup CPG Podcast. If you're building a startup, you're no stranger to risk and uncertainty. But due to COVID-19, the world is feeling a little extra chaotic these days. So what do we need to be focusing on in times of crisis to make our brands and companies not just stay afloat, but truly weather the storm and emerge strong? If you don't deliver on values, on actions and beliefs throughout the company, the staff and everything you do, and well, it will shine through as that, a pretty sticker. That's not being authentic. Really be who you are. Bjorn co-founded Oatly Oat Milk and brought it to the U.S. market. His latest company, Good Idea Drinks, developed a flavoring sparkling water beverage, which helps to balance blood sugar. Bjorn and I discussed the DNA and persona of this new brand, Good Idea and the current challenges. From creating an authentic message for a product that has so many different potential customer groups to making it accessible to those who would truly benefit from this kind of product. Take a position. This is what we represent, right or wrong. Do that and be open about it. Part of Good Idea's authentic message is that it's backed by science and clinical studies, proving to reduce blood sugar spikes after meals by, on average, 25%. It's that backing from the scientific medical community that builds the foundation for authentic branding. And so together on this episode, we also discuss how to bring more of that into food tech innovation. Our conversation is inspired by our current situation navigating COVID-19, but what we discuss is timeless. So I'm excited to share with you this conversation about authentic messaging and the importance of building a genuine brand to withstand any economic shifts. Good morning, Bjorn. Welcome to the Startup CPG podcast. Good morning, Amanda. It's great to be here. When we were talking earlier, we talked about this turbulent time that we're in. Brands are having to change their strategies. Curious about your experience navigating those times. Yeah, thank you. It's it's, uh, obviously a hard time to be in right now. And and it's scary in many ways, right? We were getting into a, a an area which is completely um, unknown and and we don't know where it's going to go and how long it's going to take. Not to try to tone down the gravity of the situation, but it struck me when I started looking back at my own life that that it's actually not the first time we've seen global crisis, uh, maybe different scales, different uh, durations each time, of course. So I don't mean to compare them, but, but on one level, you can certainly compare I mean, we don't have to look all that far back uh, 2008 with the real estate mortgage bubble that crashed. It was actually a really uh, very upsetting period of time there, a couple of months uh, in the fall of 2008, where uh, people were feeling equally distraught and and stressed and and, and panicking over uh, what seemed to be a very uncertain future. Uh, I personally was uh, running at the time a project here in the U.S. I was the CEO for Oatly's first attempt to launch in the U.S. We were very close to push the button when the financial crisis uh, happened, right, overnight almost. Uh, it, it seemed like it, at least. We had to close down, fire people, you know, here in the U.S., and, and, and uh, we took a big write-off, big hit. Uh, I think we invested at that time probably a million, two million U.S. in just preparing everything. It's humbling when you go through that and you think the, that uh, it's uh, in some sense the end of the end of, end of the life. But but we somehow always come out to some kind of new normal. And 
sometimes it takes six months or 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 maybe a year whatever but but there's there's always somehow a day after tomorrow and we need to keep that in mind a lot of the decisions we make now will have a big impact in where we are and what we are setting ourselves up for at the end of the tunnel and i even remember the black monday back in 1987 which was the I think still the, the single largest decline in the stock market in one day. When you've seen that a few times, a lot of what's going on here is kind of familiar territory. And my first foray into the U.S. market was between 2006 and 2008 when we, uh, as I said earlier here, then tried to launch in the U.S. and, and built a, a network, built a, a good understanding of the U.S. market. And, and unfortunately, the financial crisis uh, happened and, and delayed the launch. Um, we were very disappointed, of course, at that point in time. But, you know, you, you play the cards you're dealt and, and uh, the, the market shut down and we decided to regroup. And we thought maybe it'll take us a year or so and we'll be back. It uh, turned out to take uh, a little longer than that. And now you're working with Good Idea. What drives you in your food entrepreneurship? We believe firmly and strongly that preventive health care is the way to go. And if we're going to avoid or reduce prevalence of diseases like diabetes, for example, we can't uh, cure when it's been diagnosed. We need to implement, provide food that uh, is truly healthy and help you manage and balance blood sugars uh, and thus help avoid people actually developing prediabetes, and, uh, which is the precursor to diabetes, right? That's the field where we want to be in, you know, provide food that tastes great, that's convenient, that fits with your existing habits and, and cultural patterns, and, and but deliver true health at the same time, and clinically documented, not just relying on generic claims that tends to be uh, what people do in the food industry, but that we actually prove that this this is the stuff. It's uh, In the case of Good Idea, we have done nine clinical studies. For us, that's that's critical and essential to really show that, that the stuff works. Bjorn, that's something I think that really resonated with me when we were talking uh, earlier this week about your experience building Oatly and Good Idea, your commitment to consistent messaging and building an authentic brand. Yeah, I think we've, we've learned a lot from Oatly here. And Oatly took the step very early on, publish and declare exactly all the ingredients and where we source them, which is uh, a big no-no typically in the food industry. That's one of the, um, the big food companies like to keep that secret. Uh, I guess part of, of trade secrets uh, ultimately, but uh, in the case of Oatly, Oatly felt that it's important to build that trust uh, with the consumers to show this is what you consume here. This is what you get if you drink or or eat our ice cream or whatever, right? And, and Oatly also took the step uh, as one of the very first companies to start publishing the exact carbon dioxide footprint every single package generates and have launched that a campaign in Europe in here in the US too now, right? Show us the numbers that challenges the food industry to actually take a deep look at uh, what's my environmental impact and what's the carbon foot uh, carbon dioxide footprint on every single of every single product and actually declare that i've seen firsthand how how uh, extremely well that resonates with with consumers and and uh, so in combination of 
what we talked about uh, clinical studies and, and, and building trust that way is, is obviously be very open and transparent with what you do and what you don't do. And I don't know, Oatly publishes its uh, sustainability report. Have you seen that? It's a, what, 30, 40 page booklet. Uh, you can download it online if you haven't seen the book that we're where the company goes through and analyzes in detail um, its uh, environmental impact and where it's good, where it's bad, where it could be improved and, and uh, compare from the previous year and show you know, improvements and, and, and um, ask for help to if there are areas we identify there that uh, the company can be better at. Uh, they, they ask consumers to chip in and come, come help with, come with advice, right? So really, take a leadership in 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 in, in uh, sustainability. That's I I mean that resonates with me as a consumer as well. It's something I look for in companies, and that feels really risky as as a founder or or someone building a company to share where your flaws are and where you need to improve. What's that like? And and did you get any backlash when releasing that information to consumers? What what was that like? Well, I think there's there's always uh, a conversation. So I'm on the board of Oatly now, and 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 uh, uh, there was there's always a conversation, of course, on on a board level of are we uh, uh, revealing trade secrets somehow that that could uh, come and hurt us as a company? Are we serving ammunition to our competition to to uh, that they can use against us? Um, but I think we've always uh, made, and certainly the management team has uh, quite rightly argued all the time that that uh, those uh, potential risks are far outweighed by by uh, building the true authenticity and and, and honesty around the brand. Uh, you have, I mean, I think any consumer would recognize and appreciate that no one is perfect. There's always a flaw somewhere. We just can't. You can't solve all the problems at once. So I think anyone that's trying to hide that, it, it's really, uh, you know, why you, you know, be who you are, be honest. Okay, I'm, you know, I have this flaw. I, I can't solve this particular problem yet. Uh, help me if you have ideas, right? And if you're up upfront and honest about it, I think it helps build the respect at the end of the day. Um, no one is per- no one is perfect, right? So don't try to hide that fact and, and um, turn it around instead. Here, I need help. Here, I'm not perfect in this place. Help me um, and be and engage with consumers and and partners and and other stakeholders and whatnot, right? And I think that that's uh, a, a very uh, I think it's been very powerful for for me to see how powerful that is, uh, how, how uh, effective it is and how helpful it is. Sure. What are some things that you learned from uh, revealing your flaws, either at Oatly or have you been using these same practices at Good Idea? Oh, we don't have any flaws there. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's hard to point that. I think it's really uh, more the, the building, the personality around the brand. Uh, or communicate. You don't build a personality. You are who you are. I think uh, important learning for me of thirty years of branding and marketing. Right. It's 
don't try to to stick a pretty label on on a product and think that you are that right if you don't deliver on on values on 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 actions and uh, beliefs throughout the company the staff in everything you do and all the employees, right? Well, it'll shine through as uh, that, a pretty sticker uh, or a label, right? And, and uh, that's not being authentic. So, so you have to really be who you are. I mean, we, we all, it sounds ridiculous, we are who we are. You need to let that shine through in, in all your communication. This is who we are. These are our values. This is what we stand for. This is what we represent, right or wrong. And uh, that's another thing, you know, to not always please everybody. You have to accept that if I take a position, I might upset some. Do that and be open about it. I don't share that value. I don't believe in this, and therefore I'm not going to go there. And I know that there's a bunch of consumers that um, may not appreciate that. But this is who I am. I can't be everything to everybody and please everybody all the time and, you know, and hide my flaws. I think that having seen and experienced this for a number of years now and the power of that and, and ultimately building respect and uh, appreciation, right, for being who you are uh, and showing who you are and not hiding it outweighs and, and over time, maybe at times short term, you may, you know, lose some business or lose some consumers, but long term, you, you, you'll win. So who is good idea? What are the things that you stand for? And what are the unwavering messages that you share? Uh, great question. Uh, and to, uh, to be perfectly honest with you, too, that it's part of what we are trying to uh, understand ourselves. We are science-based. We come out of long and a good many years of research that resulted in, in this product. It's driven by a passion to address diabetes and obesity. The whole project was born out of a research project uh, at the Lund University in Sweden at an institute there called the Anti-Diabetic Food Center. So the, the whole DNA and persona is about anti-diabetes, right? To be very clear of what we do and how we do it and that it works. The challenge we're facing uh, with a product like this is that we can address so many different consumer groups. Uh, and they're all very different. So how do I sort of break down my simplest part of my DNA to resonate with all these very diverse groups? It could be biohackers that address or come to our product for one particular reason or, or pre-diabetics or office workers that seek uh, simple ways to stay awake after lunch. I think one mistake we've done in Good Idea in some sense is that we had too much of a retail focus too early which is really hard because you have very little chance to present yourself and your persona on, on a shelf in a supermarket, right? We're, we're much more focused now on, on, on food service and online business, which obviously today food service is not such a good place to be in. Um, but we are, as, as people and individuals, if I look at my team here, we, we, we try to have fun. We, we, we want to be serious and, uh, and uh, have fun so, and be you know, who we are. We have our Scandinavian Swedish heritage that we, you know, don't want to hide necessarily. <laughs> On the contrary, we're proud of it. So so we want that to shine through too. And uh, be medical, scientific, and funny at the same time. 
which I think we we, <laughs> we think we are. <laughs> um, yeah, what is that Swedish Scandinavian uh, heritage? How does that shine through in your brand? Uh, the very uh, basic element is that we have a Swedish flag on our package, right? So, so that yeah, so that that kind of helps. And I think, in many ways, the the, the style of communication and, and, and honesty and uh, and how we we uh, present ourselves a little with our quirkiness and, and yeah, on our website goodideadrinks.com, you can see we've produced a number of videos that uh, help explain the product and how it works, and we play on our origin there a lot. I mean, it's you know we, we can't hide that. We don't want it. We don't want to hide it. And then, of course, uh, Swedishness, Scandinavian. I, I think to many Americans, it, I think it does resonate with health and, and, and well-being and, and maybe beauty to a certain extent. And, and uh, those are obviously, we think we, we are. We are very beautiful and we are very healthy, right? So, <laughs> <laughs> Sure. It, yeah. Uh, confidence goes a long way and certainty, self-assuredness. What do you think the food system would be like if more food entrepreneurship came out of this kind of innovation with a deep commitment to how, how it affects the body? So it's a great question and something we worked, uh, obviously, uh, now 20 plus years trying to understand ourselves. Um, the good news is that the industry, with the, the emergence of the food tech industry, you, you now have... Uh, not the least here in the Bay Area, a number of companies that are truly science-based. They may not necessarily do clinical studies, but they're, I mean, look at the big upfront investments in technology. So, so the, the good thing here is that there's a broader understanding in, in, uh, in the financial circuits, not the least, that, that food may not always be something that you can bring to market in, in less than a year, right? It's not just about branding. It's Memphis Meats or Impossible Food or others have shown that, yeah, well, you know, it's worthwhile investing up front in technology uh, and develop something that's science-based. It's not that hard to see that a step from that appreciation, understanding, acceptance to also start doing clinical studies and bring in the medical community, clinical medical community into the equation. That step is lower today than it was just a couple of years ago. That's the good news. And, and I, I think we can start to see some movements in that direction. That's helpful, right? But with any technology, science, uh, there's a couple of things we've learned too. I mean, uh, at the end of the day, whatever you eat, when you eat something or drink something, as a consumer, you want to know that you can trust the ingredients and, and feel safe about them, right? So in that sense, it's kind of fascinating to me to see that genetically modified organisms that produce some of the components in the food and that are very long and very complex list of ingredients and highly processed food, that actually consumers accept that. that that's kind of interesting to see. I think the jury is still out, but to what extent consumers will accept lab-grown um, meats or, or, or milk substitutes and whatnot. It feels a little bit like Franken-food. And, and um, so, so I say what I'm... You'd really, to the extent you can go to very natural ingredients and, and work with that, fruits, berries, uh, you know, cereals, whatever it is, and, and, and enhance uh, medical effect by increasing concentration of whatever it is or, or gentle processing, 
that improves the, the medical e- efficacy of oats, for example, as we've done in Oatly, right? Uh, the truer, the simpler ingredient you can have, the better it is, better and easier for the consumer at the end of the day. So, so I'm getting deviating from your question a little. I think that there, there's good news here in the sense that we, we are getting much more scientifically oriented in, and, and uh, we're starting looking at exciting new raw materials from the sea, for example, algaes and microalgaes or, or, or seaweed. And there's a lot of uh, exciting opportunities for, for many in this field. Do you have any advice? How might someone who who wants to found something that's better for the world, better for other people, create a trusted brand that's grounded in actual yeah. science? No, that's that's it's funny you ask that because one of the I'm involved in entrepreneur networks here in the Bay Area and also back in 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 my home country, um, and it's been amazing to see the the uh, um, a number of uh, new startups that. We have, and many of them, more and more so, being scientifically based. It's often situational. It's kind of interesting that you have either a group of scientists with a clear passion for for a solution, right, or you have, but maybe not have the that but lack the understanding of of the marketing and sales aspect, or often you have somebody a, a, a true marketeer passionate sales and marketing person, business person that I want to go into this space, but don't really have the, the killer app, so to speak, right? They're, 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 they're that really uh, sophisticated product. And, and um, there's almost a need for a matchmaking here between these two groups. So that, that and, and I've been involved in, in that exact thing a couple of times now, how, how, how can we find a true business-driven entrepreneur to com- to complement to work with this group of fantastic scientists and vice versa? So I, I sure. totally agree with you. Yeah, I think that matchmaking is emerging even more during this time as we see, you know, things not working the way they used to, um, but plenty of resources. So how do we connect people who know stuff and have resources with other people who know different things with different resources? Yeah, I think that's, um, let's uh, build, I mean, podcasts like this and uh, uh, the startup CPG networks and, and things like that are, 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 are key for that, I think. Yeah, absolutely. So Bjorn, how did you become involved in the startup CPG network and what has been your experience so far? Uh, how did I get involved? I was invited to speak on uh, one of their uh, meetings uh, last year and, and that I like to be, um, you know, I don't mind sharing my, my story, my experience, and then it's a good way to network, obviously. So I'm, I've been now uh, on a couple of different events, uh, both uh, real <laughs> physical events where we mingled and met a lot of people, and now lately a couple of the uh, uh, Zoom meetings, right? With, I think there have been up to, what, 80 participants or something in one of them? Maybe not that many, 40, 40 50 at least. Yeah, lots of people. And, and uh, using breakout uh-huh. sessions, it's, it's fun. It works remarkably well. I think that's going to be one of the big takeouts from this whole COVID-19 thing is that we can use online meetings to a much bigger extent than I think we all thought was even possible just a couple of months ago, right? It's been uh, eye-opening for me. There's a lot of uh, entrepreneurs here coming from all different kinds of backgrounds. 
I think that's just a great environment to be in. I learn from everyone I speak to. I, I learn a lot and, and I'm happy to share what I can share when, when, when I can share. Thank you. Well, Bjorn, it's such a pleasure to have you as part of our community. I'm really grateful to share this episode with our community because creating brands that are grounded in authenticity and a real care for the consumers who are purchasing their product is really important. And the more that we have of that, the better. So thank you. Well, thank you. It's great to be on, on the show. And um, thank you for all the work you're doing with, uh, with this network. If you like what you heard, you're interested in learning more, sign up for our newsletter at startupcpg.com. That's where we send out all of our events. You can get involved by joining a virtual Zoom happy hour. You'll learn about the latest podcast episodes as they come up, insights about the Startup CPG community. Sign up for our newsletter at startupcpg.com. We definitely want to have you involved, potentially even feature you on our podcast. So thank you for listening to this podcast. Special thank you to Adam Yee of My Food Job Rocks for providing technical expertise and moral support while we produce the first few episodes of this podcast. I would also like to provide credit to the Super Fantastics for our intro and outro music. That is the band of our founder, Daniel Scharf, and every band member works at the company Eat Just Incorporated. You probably know them for the vegan egg scramble. They perform all over San Francisco. You can follow them on Instagram and Facebook. Thanks for listening to the Startup CPG podcast.